Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. was a lot happening in the world in June 1999 and frankly none of it was any good. I mean we had the Owen Hart funeral which WWF brought cameras to which Martha Hart wasn't pleased about at all for obvious reasons and then Sable was suing the World Wrestling Federation for 140 million dollars and yes you heard that right. It all came down to the fact that Rena Mero thought that she shouldn't be wrestling anymore because nobody had ever trained her to do it properly and WWF saw this very differently. There's also a bunch of stuff with copyright and how to use her likeness and licensing. It was an absolute mess. It also kind of ties into many things which are happening today which is why we should draw a line under it and just focus on retro ups and downs because otherwise we are all going to be super sad. It's not like it was much better when it came to the product itself. Now do not get me wrong, Raw was a barrel of laugh in 1999 but on this particular episode after weeks of teasing and fans being super duper excited we found out that the higher power (laughs) was Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And the one word you will find over and over again when you are reading about this period is disappointing my word does that sum it up. I mean it was just another vehicle to ensure that McMahon stayed front and center the whole time and by this point the story and the narrative was just so played out and also as we will get into later it didn't make any sense at all. It just felt like we started to go around in circles and as we've talked about in the past it's like you being in your house and going I'm gonna google map to my house and then your iPhone blows up and where we stare across the pond do you know what WCW were doing? They were signing Master P and Dennis Rodman to full-time contracts. If you want to laugh, go and look up how much cash they were being paid. And while I understood the appeal in Dennis Rodman, because he had come in at 1998 and smashed pay-per-view buy rates at Bash at the Beach, the unique novelty had already worn off. And World Championship Wrestling was just desperate for whatever the hell they could do. We all know the deal there, though. So yes, let's go to June 7th, 1999 from Boston. It is Monday Night Raw. And let's up those doubts. The start of Raw is hilarious because we get a video recap package of Stone Cold Steve Austin looking for the higher power and his grand plan is just to stun everybody he sees. Like, what was he hoping to achieve? That he was going to hit a stunner on someone and as they popped up, they were going to go, it was me! 
I don't think that was ever going to work. It gets even more silly as Vince McMahon is the first person on the show and he's all like, oh my gosh, high power is going to be revealed. Who is it going to be? So this is just insulting and this is just a slap in the face. He knows what he's about to do, but he is still trying to up the anticipation. What is cool is that my man starts name dropping the likes of Shawn Michaels and Jake Roberts who had been part of the rumor mill, but then he ruins it even further when he goes, but I'm pretty sure the higher power is actually a McMahon. And this is when I wanted to just go outside and put my head in a puddle. It's also tied into the fact that Vince McMahon had 50% of the company and so did Shane McMahon. So Vince is all like, why don't we have a street fight later with the winner taking it all? And because Raw hasn't changed in the last two decades, because Shane O'Mac's name has been said, out he came. And yes, this was also the time of the corporate ministry. So he has to have that ridiculous entrance music where it is part corporate and part ministry. I mean, it is literally the laziest thing WWF could do. They just put the two themes together. So it's kind of half demonic and half business, which will baffle the brain. And also remember, at this stage in 1999, Vince was meant to be a good guy. He'd been like, oh man, please help my daughter Stephanie and crying over teddy bears. I mean, don't try and make sense of it because it doesn't, but that was the idea. Shane does pop out though to say that he'll accept this challenge and then honestly just goes higher power, higher power, higher power, higher power, higher power, higher power. You couldn't have said it anymore. It's so over the top and stupid though, you can't help but be entertained by it. And if the higher power had actually been somebody decent, all of this would have been far better. However, I did chuckle my way through this segment, so for now, it is getting it up. We cut to Stone Cold Steve Austin in the back who is just talking to a limousine, like he's talking to the person in the vehicle, but it just looks so strange, as if he's talking to a seat. And then the corporate ministry theme plays again. And it's just like, what? I don't, it doesn't make any sense, especially because we've already had the opening promo. And then in June 1999, we have a second opening Raw promo. I mean, that's a contradiction in terms and the amount of people that were in this group. I had totally forgotten. But there are so many individuals, even Jerry the King, Laura and Jim Ross, are like, ah, we ain't going to run through them. We ain't got the time. It also means it's impossible to care about any of them. And JR drops the line, hey, would you look at this collection of evil... Like we're watching flipping He-Man. This is where the story falls down even further because when The Undertaker was playing the weirdest version of his character ever, it just means he talks even slower than ever and mumbles on and on about the Day of Reckoning. And that confused me because the GameCube wasn't even out. You could also just feel it in your bones that when the dead man does say, here comes the higher power, that nonsense is about to knock you right in the skull. And my word does it. And sure, you get the spooky music as this dude comes out in a cloak and everybody in the ring kneels down. And my biggest surprise here is that I had the recollection that this was the last thing you saw on this episode of Raw. But no, it's in segment two. The constant references throughout all of this that Shane McMahon is going to be the higher power also utterly confused me because he's already part of the group and he's basically leading it. This would be like McDonald's, their CEO coming out and saying, I'm happy to announce the brand new CEO is me. It's like, but we already knew you were the CEO. What is going on? Shane then does the walk to the ring to prove that it's not him. And of course he whips off this guy's hood. And it is Vince McMahon. So one, it was lazy. Two, it made the original opening promo absolutely pointless. And three, everybody was tired of it because yet it was more McMahon's. Don't even try and explain the story either. Vince McMahon had tried to basically have his own family killed in order that Stone Cold Steve Austin would help them. But Stone Cold did help them. 
So what the flub is going on? And they try and spin it here like, well, we just didn't want you to be WWF champion, Austin. But he wasn't the WWF champion. That little trinket belonged to The Undertaker. It's even worse, because before we do do this big reveal, you have Vince Man on the big screen saying, oh man, I want to know who it is. So obviously that was pre-recorded, but once again, it's just a way to piss the fans off. Now let's be honest, and let's be truthful. The whole, it was me, Austin. It was me, Austin, all along, and Jim Ross on commentary going, ah, that son of the bitch, is some of the best things that has ever happened in the world of wrestling. But once you move past that, like I've already said, slap in the face. I mean, it really is just bad, even 22 years later, because if somebody busted in here right now with a gun and said, explain this to me, I wouldn't be able to do it. It is actual nonsense. It also takes up such a huge chunk of Raw, and do not forget, it was only two hours back then, but we clock in at around about 35 minutes. And after a while, it is such a struggle to watch, which is why it's getting a down. Is it that even more as Stephanie and Linda McMahon finally walk out and they just cut the most unemotional promo you've ever heard in your life? And for that reason, I was laughing my ass off, but I know, I know. Vince tries to pass it off as just business, which is brilliant because he almost had his daughter wed to an actual demon. And this is when Linda drops the big surprise that, oh, you both don't own 50%. It's 25% between all of us. So me and Steph have taken our 50% and given it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is also gibberish because before she mentions the rattlesnake's name, she says, oh, we had a board of directors meeting earlier. And Vince doesn't know about this. But this happened before Vince McMahon revealed himself as the higher power. So why would nobody have told him? The thing is, the eruption to this news is just wonderful. And this is kind of the brilliance of Stone Cold Steve Austin. The fans would live vicariously through him. So thinking, oh my gosh, one of us is now running the World Wrestling Federation. Well, they were overjoyed. Austin also comes out wearing a tie over his usual wrestling attire, which is brilliant. And also this would lead to those tremendous skits with Stone Cold in WWFHQ. And if you've never seen them, you really should. I mean, they're stupid, but they rock. He makes a bunch of matches. So basically he has abused his position straight away. And then he drinks a case of beer while going oh hell yeah and you can't help but love this you just can't stone cold steve austin just has a magic about him and it's getting up you then finally do get to some wrestling and it's the acolytes taking on the edge and gangrel mostly because the brood had been kicked out of the corporate ministry the previous week after helping stone cold steve austin even though they did this when they were under duress. It's also a tag team title match, but do not forget, in 1999, Gangrel was kind of just Gangrel, a vampire that was hanging out, and Edge was nowhere near the star he was going to go on to be. So they basically just got murked. And of course, how does it end? I'll give you a few seconds to decide. Boom. That's right. In a distraction, because 20 years later, they are still going strong. It also goes to show that even the undead aren't immune to this, because when Michael Hayes and the Hardy Boys come out, Gangrel doesn't know what the hell to do and basically forgets he's in a wrestling match. So he stares at them as opposed to Bradshaw, who then whams him with the clothesline from hell. That's it. One, two, three. Down. Right. Moving swiftly on. Who remembers the union? Don't worry if your hand comes down, because not many people do. They only lasted four weeks, but because they were kind of pseudo baby faces here after leaving the ministry or the corporate ministry whatever found cold steve austin and said hey big show hey test hey ken shamrock you can do whatever the hell you want tonight so it was time to find out what the hell they wanted to do first off the big show says he wants a world title match against the undertaker and surely that pissed off ken shamrock and tesks they were like oh well i was going to ask for that as well but ken shamrock changes his mind completely he was going to have a lion's den match with jeff jarrett 
But he removes Jeff from the equation and in his place goes... Vince McMahon. Tess then goes completely out of left field because he asked Stephanie McMahon to come to the ring and then asked hostess, do you want to go out for a date as Shane and Vince melt down in the back about this? And actually, given that this was the summer of 1999, we all know where this is going. It is then time for more wrestling on your apparent wrestling show as Shane McMahon is finally going to get his because Stone Cold has put him in a match against X-Pac and Kane. I mean, he did deserve this because he had screwed these two out of the tag team titles last week and few were expecting anything but a stupid finish during the Attitude Era. What the hell is wrong with you? Because of course, out come the Mean Street Posse, although they're wearing Mankind masks here. Although I do want to make it very clear. I love the Mean Street Posse. It was just such a dumb gimmick. Pete Gass is one of my all-time heroes. I have no idea why this match ended because it does just stop after these three do get involved. And that's why watching the Attitude Era is so hard these days. If you have no context about what has come before or what's going to come afterwards, it's almost as if they're making it up as they go along down. There is a nice bit afterwards because Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson come out there to get themselves some of theirs because they had finally turned good guys and they do take Mr. Gass and they throw him in the ring and he gets destroyed by Kane and Axepack. But again, we are up to like the 45, 50 minute mark here. We've basically done nothing. The youngest looking Michael Cole you've ever seen in your life is then talking to Deborah about her upcoming title match against Nicole Bass when Deborah tells us, nah man, I don't want to do that. And instead, it should be a bikini contest. So that's just the most gimmicky thing you've ever heard in your life. And I swear, during the Attitude Era, you weren't allowed to do anything but gimmick matches. Because next up is Triple H versus The Rock, which is kind of a big deal. But because The Rock's arm was in a cast, Triple H had been told that his leg had to be in a cast. When he's walking to the ring, he's like this. I'm sorry, it's just funny. And I don't think I was meant to be laughing. Even with all of this, they still introduce a chair and the referee just watches The Rock hit Triple H with it, but nobody could give a hoot. And after The Rock had hit The Rock bottom onto the game and he's about to win, who comes out to just throw the match into the abyss once again? It is The Undertaker. It also once again makes no sense because there's no official decision and The Undertaker just grabs The Rock and gives him a tombstone onto the chair because they were going to be fighting at the next pay-per-view. But I'll level with you. Watching it as an older man, it just gets really annoying. I wanted to see The Rock pin Triple H, but no presents for me. Down. And it's the bikini contest next, which is even worse than usual, mostly because of the treatment of Nicole Bass. Down. Because yes, as I'm sure you know, Nicole was more of a bodybuilder than a swimsuit model, and therefore WWF used that as a way to just insult her all the time, even though her physique was pretty damn impressive if I do say so myself. I mean, it's just abysmal, and I know the explanation, but teenage horny boys, teenage horny boys. I'm not going to worry about teenage horny boys, and if you are, I think you may have a problem. So Deborah easily wins, because of course she does, when Val Venus comes out there to protect Nicole Bass, because they were kind of dating at the time. And when Jeff Jarrett is also out there, because he was kind of feuding with Val Venus, Nicole goes to hit Jeff with the guitar, misses, and slams Val Venus right in the face. And this is when Val just starts to verbally eviscerate Nicole Bass. And I'm sorry, but it was very uncomfortable. Now, thankfully, Bass stands up for her and tells Val Venus he can go screw himself as he then chases after her, which was definitely, definitely not cool and was definitely, definitely awkward. And I just want to move on from this as fast as I can. You can derive zero entertainment from this. We then get GTV. Remember GTV? 
IGTV. And watching it now is tremendous because you know that at one point someone's going to go, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. And it just gets dropped. Here somebody or Goldust was just perving on PMS. And again, I can't give you more than this because WWF never told me why. It is then Billy Gunn versus the Godfather. And once again, I was laughing because JR tells us, oh, the reason we're having this match is because the Godfather hit Billy Gunn on heat with a chair because, well, I don't really know what the reason is. That's actually what he says. <laughs> Tremendous. I mean, why bother with an explanation? There's no need. He just hit him with a chair. Why? I don't know. You tell me. As it turned out, this was just a vehicle for Billy Gunn versus the Road Dog, because of course, D-Generation X had disintegrated in 1999, and these two were about to feud. And therefore, the Road Dog runs out. He hits that pump handle slam on Billy Gunn, where he also has to hump them before he does it, when the Godfather gets back in the ring and actually scores a pinfall but you couldn't really describe it as clean. And what's more, this doesn't go more than a minute. I mean, they have to speed through this as if they're about to die. And I thought about it, because I was like, yeah, we did get a winner. I'm still giving it a down. This didn't mean that nothing stupid had happened for two seconds, though. So we zoom to the back, and there's Darren Drozdov, who just goes, bleh, and throws up. Why wouldn't you want that on TV? This is to underline the fact that it's also hardcore title time, as Droz was going to take on Al Snow. But the key to what I just said is that it was time for the hardcore title. And that championship was meant to be ridiculous. So the fact that this is ridiculous, well, it actually works. I mean, they are fighting in the crowd almost instantly and they eventually end up in a bar where they're using pool cues and what else they could find. And when Al Snow gets a statue and smashes it over Droz's head and he gets the win, I was actually like, oh, okay, fine, I was sports entertained. I mean, it's over quicker than a hiccup, but again, that was just the way back then. You weren't allowed to take in anything. But I am going to give it up. The WWF is lucky that they had this brief nugget of entertainment there too. Because everything that happens afterwards. I mean, my word. Down. Because it is meant to be Ken Shamrock versus Vince McMahon in a Lion's Den match. And even the 2021 version of me was like, well, that is something I want to see. I wonder what they're going to do. But instead, as soon as Vince gets in the Lion's Den, he locks himself in there. When Jeff Jarrett is back out, he destroys Ken Shamrock when the referee goes, well, I guess Vince McMahon won by technical knockout. Technical knockout. Imagine you did this in boxing, there would be a riot. It would also wind you up because there's all these other matches you get on Raw that have no official decision, but in here we make it very clear that Vince McMahon has defeated former UFC champion by TKO. I did this the entire time. I just shook my head and now everybody I know thinks I'm weird. I do want to point out that the attitude area is not bad, not by any stretch of the imagination. It just hasn't aged well, which happens with loads of form of entertainment which kind of sums up the main event. Because it is The Undertaker versus The Big Show for the WWF title. And for a small while at least, we actually get a wrestling match. And if you can believe it, The Big Show is basically beating the dead man's ass. Paul Bearer then starts casting distractions so Taker can use a chair again. And once again, the referee just watches this, but he's just all shrug emoji. He's like, I don't care, I got better things to do. I ain't gonna get involved. But I will tell you this, the ending is actually kind of cool. I deliberately didn't say finish because that is dumb and WWF probably would have got away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. But once again, there's just no finish. But as The Undertaker dives off the top rope, The Big Show catches him and gives him the choke slam and actually throws him through the ring canvas. So that is great. And sadly, once again, it does mean there is just no finish because I guess man is dead or something like that. But it does make you pop. It does get a reaction. The crowd loves it. 
That's why it's getting up. The corporate ministry then floods the ring before the good guys chase them away. And I will say this for every single Raw in the Attitude Era, none of them are boring. I mean, they're absolutely stupid and they will absolutely wind you up, but you will always be entertained. I mean, maybe not those two opening show promos, which go on forever. And I swear aged me about 91 years, but I guess you can't have everything. And even though I've given the show a bunch of downs and only like two ups, overall, I'm still going to give it an up based on one thing. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.